another Friday edition. It's another Vote Like Your Life Depends On It edition of the podcast with Damian Barling here on the Be Heard podcast platform. I'm so thankful that you're here. Appreciate you so much for tuning in. Kamara Williams is going to join me here uh, in just a couple of minutes. Hopefully you had the opportunity to listen to part one last week where we talked about Ice Cube. Actually, a lot of what we talked about in part one is going to be referenced again today. So this is this is rare for my podcast. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, go back and listen to it. And I know normally it's it's a standalone podcast. Normally we're talking about just sports stuff. There's no time sensitivity to it. But because of the discussion that we're having today, it's not vital. It's not like we're going to be talking about things that you don't understand. But we referenced a couple of key points in our conversation last week that I would really like for you to hear uh, before diving into this week's conversation with Kamara Williams, uh, particularly the part, it, like I, I really think you're 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 going to dig this. I love I love talking to Kamara. This is I think it's third fourth time on the show. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, I'm going to post uh, the be conscious I did with Kamara Williams when Kamala Harris was uh, selected as the vice presidential candidate for Joe Biden, and I'm going to kind of put that out there. Uh, so you can hear that in addition to some of the other conversations we've had. So just kind of added content and all of that good stuff here on the Be Heard platform. Uh, speaking of the Be Heard platform, uh, we've launched a new podcast. Hopefully you got an opportunity to check it out. Uh, Snack Time with Mac and Ash. Uh, that is available for you. It is, it's, it's, I don't know what to call it other than just a happy podcast. Uh, I hope you'll go take a listen to that. Remember, you can find all of our podcasts uh, by searching Be Heard in the Apple Podcast platform. Hopefully you've rated the different shows. Hopefully you've listened to all of the different shows, and hopefully you've enjoyed all of the other shows. A couple of other programming notes for Be Heard. Uh, I'm going to be on uh, the episode of Sean and Vaughn next Tuesday, uh, so make sure you check those guys out. That is 100% a sports co- podcast. There's no political commentary in there. It's just 100% sports. Uh, so I hope you'll go uh, check out that. Had a great conversation with those guys. And and I think I alluded to this last week, and I can officially tell you about it today. Of course, this is the episode that is dropping on Friday. So on Tuesday, next Tuesday, which uh, I got to give you the specific date because I don't know off the top of my head. October 27th, we're adding another podcast to the Be Heard platform. And it's the Build Black podcast. And I think many of you have probably heard of Build Black and their association with the Sacramento Kings. If you ever heard my Be Conscious episode with Barry Axius and how we got together, uh, how we met for the first time the night of the protest outside the Golden One Center after Stephon Clark was murdered, uh, th- that's kind of the origin story behind how Build Black was born. And now we have partnered together uh, with Build Black to do a conversation about, uh, to do a podcast and have conversations about many of the tremendous uh, organizations that are a part of Build Black. We're going to be talking with uh, black business owners in and around Sacramento. We're going to be talking to black community leaders in and around Sacramento. And we're going to be talking about subjects that many of you will love to hear about, many of you won't like to hear about. Well, of course, we'll be talking about racism. Racism, we'll be talking about, we could talk about Ice Cube and 50 Cent and uh, those situations going on into the election. We're going to be talking about the importance of voting. We're going to talk about the 
incredible pressure on black people in this election when casting their vote. And all of this will make sense when you hear our very first episode, which comes out on Tuesday. Uh, So I hope you'll check that out. The podcast is called Build Black, and it's here on the Be Heard podcast platform. Uh, Make sure you follow us on social media at Be Heard platform on Twitter and Instagram as well. And again, uh, thank you for your continued support of this podcast and thank you for your continued support of the the Be Heard platform and the Deuce and Mo podcast and Sean and Vaughn and Snack Time and J Street Vibes and all of uh, watching the tape, all of that incredible stuff that we have going on over there on that platform. So let's bring in uh, Kamara Williams. And let's go back, Kamara, let's go back to our conversation because in part one of our Vote Like It Life Depends on It series, we were talking about uh, Ice Cube. And we talked about how Donald Trump was, or, or, or the Donald Trump campaign was making a push to get, 20% of black male voters to vote for him. Let's, let's, let's start with that and why that 20% number is so important to them. So here's, here, before we even get to 20%, I don't even, I think it's more sophisticated than that. It's not necessarily getting 20% to vote as much as it's getting 20% to not vote for Biden because that's a vote for Trump. Mm. And they understand that. And there was an article that just came out, I wish I, I, I pinged it to read it later, but I didn't read it. Um, in Miami alone, they targeted 116,000 uh, black voters um, in 2016, um, you know, with information to dissuade them from engaging. They identified it was what are some algorithms or whatnot. They figured out what information really um, was something was what information was going to dissuade a number of black voters from not voting and not going to the booth. And they targeted them. It was 116,000 plus votes in South Florida. I know they did that in Pennsylvania, specifically Philadelphia. Um, they did that in different states. Um, they did it in Michigan and just different segments of the population where there are states where they needed, right? Um, they did it in, uh, in Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, you know, and so for them, it wasn't so much, we got to get them to buy into Trump as much as we got to get them not to buy into Hillary or now not to buy into Biden. That is the game. And if we can get them to buy into Trump, that's even an added bonus because now we get a plus voter, right? So for them, they're not looking at, you know, it's 20%. Yes, they're looking at 20%, but we can't just look at that number as 20% of voting for them. They're looking at 20% in that includes non-voters. And that is as far as black men is concerned. And that's what they're looking at right now. And it's working, right? Um, you, you, you offline, you mentioned that you went to the barbershop and you were, and whatnot. I'm, I go to barbershop every week, even though I don't need to. And I, as I mentioned, and like I said, the conversations I hear, you know, just from uh, black men are just, oh, I'm not voting for Biden. Oh, I'm not. It's like, it's becoming more and more prevalent. And I'm like, oh, okay, 
it's so working. Now it's, and they don't even they don't even realize it's working, but it's working. And so now the greater question is why? Like why is it working or how is it working? Oh, I guess we're talking about the psyche, right? The psyche of the black male, um, as far as voting. Well, I guess it's multifaceted. It's um, for them, for some, it's uh, disillusioned by the Democratic Party mm -hmm. or disillusioned by politics, right? Or feeling like socially you're becoming um, irrelevant and not feeling like you have the same stance. I mean, it, it, there's something to be said about, I, and I, this is not, this is not a shot, a shot at anything. I just wanted to, I want to lay this groundwork first. But I, I, I really do believe there is some level of black men that do not like page, do not like um, the rising of black women in society, mm -hmm. and it makes them feel like you know, it makes them feel some type of way. You know, they don't want to see Kamala Harris be the, the, the president and even being vice president, that's too close because they don't believe that Biden's going to last all four years. They think he's going to kill her out, mm -hmm. you know? And you have years of people, you know, where for years they, they hear about, you know, black girls rock and, you know, you know, uplifting of, black black women and all these things powerful you know powerful black women and, and it's but at the on the other side of it they hear conversations of you know uh, black men not doing this black men and they I, i'm not saying this is all anecdotal okay mm -hmm. it's not any research it's, it's my opinion from what i what i hear witness and then it, it starts to seep into not feeling like you're giving up this position and let's just be even more real with it too like for a lot of black men, it's easier for them to want to side up to patriarchy and um, even racist, uh, uh, bigoted uh, leaders because of the access to power. And this is a, it's an idea of an access to power, right? You hear when black men talk about, oh, you know, Trump's going to get us make make us money, right? Because financial well-being is the key to freedom, right? And so where the black women, they don't look at the world like that. They don't look at the world for finances. They look at the world for um, how does it make them feel comforted? Like they don't like the way the world makes them feel. Mm -hmm. So they actualize their vote on, they want the world to be better and they don't feel like the world is better, right? Where black men are looking at I don't look at the vote on how the world can make me feel because they don't, it's, it's actually relevant. That's a secondary. I want to know how the world is going to make me become more successful and make me become more, have more quote freedom, financial freedom, freedom period. Right. And part of freedom is financial. And, you know, if you have financial freedom, then you can have a social act access. And that, to me, I think it's a larger conversation, the psyche of the black male, um, about what is it that they value. And the Democratic Party, for all intents and purposes, hasn't done a great job of, you know, targeting that that type of black male voter, and and, it, and in communicating to them not only why they are 
just as important, but also how um, buying into their party format is going to make them make the community better, make them better, right? So, you know, there's that. And go ahead. There's a fascinating, like I, I can't help but walk away thinking, you know, because you're you're talking about you're saying this is anecdotal, anecdotal. There's there's no research in this, but it's a common thought. You know what I mean? It's it's a common thought that black men don't like the rise of black women, and it's fascinating to think that. I'm all Trayvon, black men, obviously, right? No, no, no. Of course, no, no, no. We're talking in generalities here, but in very a small sector. Sure, it, we're we're talking about the group that Trump is winning over, or winning over in in the way that you laid out earlier and becoming either a a non-voter or staying a non-voter or swaying away from Biden, which is ultimately a win for Trump in this situation. But when Trayvon Martin was murdered, it was three black women who formed Black Lives Matter. And when Michael Brown... Oscar Grant. It was actually Oscar Grant where they... Even if it is Oscar Grant or it's Trayvon Martin or it's Michael Brown, it was three black women that started this. And it's always black women who come to the defense of black men. Every single time, it's black women that do it. Remember the Alabama midterm. I can't remember the dude's name, but he's like a he's like a borderline pedophile. You're talking about Doug Jones beat... Um, Senator Doug Jones beat the, beat the, the guy in Alabama. Yeah. Right, Alabama. and it was like... Like every black woman in Alabama went out and voted and was like, no, there's no way this dude is getting like it, yeah. they flex their power. And that was a big discussion in political circles the day following that election. It doesn't play at all into 2020 because 2020, because 2016, the, the, the Republicans or Donald Trump or anybody, nobody but Hillary had um, the bulk of the black woman vote. But it's it's so it's it's almost like a state of it's like black men being like fragile to the rise of, of, of black women. There's a male, there's a, a symptom of male fragility within that. Right. And male fragility yeah. exists across races, but it is quite yeah, yeah, a, yeah. it's quite a phenomenal thing to watch black men be intimidated by the rise of black women. Here's, here's the, the reality of it. Right. Cause we, yes, male fragility operates in every simple single racial class. But it's disparaging the, the amount of daylight between black men and black women. That's the thing. Because there's not a lot of daylight between white women and white men. Mm-hmm. Right? 53% of white women voted for Trump in 2016. 55% of white men voted for Trump. That's not a lot of daylight. Yeah. It's a very small daylight. Yeah. Right? Whereas in 94% voted for um, Hillary, Hillary in 2016. Yeah. And then you had, um, you know, was it eighty seven? Yeah. Okay. Is it, yeah, yeah. It was it was eighty seven percent. Okay. Right. And which might not seem like a lot, but that's a large demarcation, right? That's it's, that's almost a seven point. Yeah. Uh, space, right? Mm-hmm. That's, and then you look, you extrapolate that over. A voter base that's millions of voters yeah. <laughs> that's literally right. millions of voters right you know right. so um you know to the point where sidebar they're even talking about that biden can cut that from that 53 percent down to 50 as far as white women he wins the election that because that's millions of voters mm-hmm. you just kind of get three percent of the white women vote that's mm-hmm. it three percent more and that wins the election 
So we're talking about a 7% gap. You know, there's such a large um, line of demarcation between black men and black women as far as social um, or voter uh, initiatives, right? Mm -hmm. And voter interest that it makes it to where like, why is that, why is that a thing? What's happening? What's happening in that community? Right. Because it goes deeper than just who's on the ballot. It's happening like there's something else psychologically happening within the black male psyche as far as how they view social engagement. It's amazing that after the last, I mean, since June, I guess, I guess since George Floyd, that this could still be a conversation in November, like that we're still legitimately having a conversation about, um, where black men's vote should lie or where black people's vote should lie. And it's not, and that's, and that's where people like cube and people like 50 cent and, and people like Steve Harvey and these people who you talk about hugging up to the patriarch and, and, and want a seat at the table. Like I, I can't cube. I still, I can't wrap my brain around, but he seems to fit in this category. Steve Harvey most certainly does is he's been arm in arm with Trump pretty much from day one. Well, he actually said he regrets that. He said that was one of the worst things he's ever did was um go up to that damn tower that's what he said okay was and anecdotal. i mean that. that's a, and that and that might be an anecdotal but you know it's rumors are saying that's what it was said that afterwards his year it was like a year from hell because you know he lost a lot of you know standing within the black mm-hmm. community for yeah. siding up to trump well i mean and, and you know uh, dave Chappelle, the 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 saturday after uh, the election on saturday night live as the host yeah. says you know, he talked about the White House and the halls and, you know, I'm going to give him a chance. And he said himself, he was like, yep, blew that. That yeah. was my bad. And then he said he regretted it. So I don't fault anyone for, for you know, if, 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 if you had a certain feeling in 2016, I hope that you've learned from that feeling. And that's the, you know, thing that you, uh, uh, Cube was alluding to. And I even heard um, my man on the breakfast cup, Shalom on the God, like say the same thing. Like, what are we not, what, what, what are we supposed to do? Only, um, only negotiate when our party wins or, 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 you know, not be at the table when our party wins. And I think what people are missing out in this conversation is it's not Democrat versus Republican. It's, Mm -hmm. it's everybody, but him, you know what I mean? Joe Biden's not the ideal candidate in this situation. Like, of course not, but it can't be him. Right. That's what this all boils down to. It's not Democrat Republican or blue versus red. It's not him. That's like, all right. Let's evaluate who Trump is. Everybody who's come in contact with him and then left at a White House in, you know, disfavor has said one thing, has said the one consistent thing. He's a transactional personality. He's not a good person. Everything is done for the benefit of him, mm-hmm. right? He's not trying to do for the betterment of people or betterment. He's not looking to improve people's life. And you look at the folk, you look at everything in his life, he's left a wake of misery, like not paying vendors, not paying people. He doesn't care about that stuff. So to think about that you're going to, oh, we got to evaluate somebody. We got to evaluate. I mean, we got to um, uh, negotiate with somebody eventually, whoever's in that White House. Yeah, I get it under normal circumstances, but not with him because he's not, let's say he gets in the White House, he's not the personality to where he's going to give a damn about anybody once he gets in. Right. He's not going to, he, what's the impetus for him? Right. To try to, what's the impetus? Like I, 
you know, he, you, you see how he treats his closest advisors. Like he kicks him under the curb. Once he, once he finds no, no use for you anymore, he doesn't feel like, oh, you know, I owe that guy one. No, he's like, all right, I'm done. I've, I've got my use out of that, you know? So let's assume he gets in in 12 days. You're not going to get anything from him. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's like where, where this thing just becomes so bizarre. It's like he's yeah. been in office for three and a half years, and he just determined, you know what, maybe black people need something. The Black Lives Matter, you know, uh, George Floyd was murdered at the end of May. It just dawned on him like, hey, we need to put something together for black people. Let's do it 17 days before the election. Right. Come on. And that's the thing where was very bizarre for me about the whole Ice Cube thing is like. Call Doughboy and see what he has to say about it. Well, it's even, let's just remove, you know, let's remove Trump. Let's remove him from the equation, right? I want to know what's the most puzzling thing is me from where I, my position, you're from your position, would evaluate somebody like him, be like, okay, you're not going to get anything from him because mm -hmm. he's not designed for personality to negotiate. Someone like Cube would think otherwise it's puzzling. And all I can think about is there was an awful lot of hubris on his part to think that he be would be the one to change that person's mind about how he deals with people. Sure. That is where that is the the hubris involved, not the not the audacity to want to negotiate with both parties, but the level of hubris to think that I can negotiate with him. You right. see what I'm saying? No, and completely. And that is where the problem is. It's like, what were you on? What did you see? Because you couldn't have seen, you couldn't have been paying attention and saw that you actually had an avenue. And if you were not well, paying attention. That's it were, right there. Yeah. That's it right there. He, he wasn't right. like he's right. in. I'm not killing him for, you know, the contract with Black America or the things that he's focusing on and things like that. But you said this last week. He's gotten indoors. You and I can't imagine. So in his mind, he's thinking, of course they want to negotiate with me. Like I am black America. Like, like I'm ice cube. I'm, I'm right along. I'm, are we there yet? Like I'm boys in the hood. Like I'm America's, but of course they want to talk to me because what you just said, he wasn't paying attention. Like he, he, right. he's, he's not following, you know, the, the, this, I, I, and I absolutely don't know, but I'm certainly assuming this is the greatest cabinet turnover administration turnover we've ever seen in three and a half years or four years. It's exhausting. Yeah. So, but he's, he doesn't know that he's, he's, he's not, not following that. He said it himself. I'm making movies. I'm making music. I'm doing all these other things. I wasn't following it. I'm not following. I don't know. I didn't know that he had 50 people leave his administration in three years. I didn't know that you know, all these people have been indicted. I didn't know that he has this, this wake of, you know, damage behind him. I don't, I don't really pay attention to stuff like that. I'm making right along too. And listen to yourself. Like, what does it say about this country that you just listed all of those things that you did right. and you didn't even throw in the fact that he was impeached. And here we are still, and I know how you feel about the upcoming election, but we're still in great question is this dude might get reelected. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? So even a guy like Chris Rock, 
right? Chris Rock said something a month ago and he said a comment like, oh, I really didn't like that the Democrats pressed that impeachment thing. They could have been negotiating about COVID. Here's a, and then he got reamed for that, rightfully so, because people were like, wait a minute, you're doing the math. The impeachment was in December, bro. COVID didn't start happening until March of 2020. And what kind of negotiating do you have to do with the, with the, with the virus? Right. And they should have been focused on the virus. But here's the thing. It goes to show you, this is, this is why, the point I'm trying to make. Impeachment was in December 2019. Mm-hmm. COVID was March of 2020. Mm-hmm. His statement, and his, so, he was so confident about his statement, so sure of himself, belies to the fact that he's not paying attention. Yeah. You know, he's not even paying attention to what's happening. And for you to harangue the Democrats for impeaching Trump because you didn't like the, you know, you, they wasted their time. And the statement's like, well, wait a minute. They were holding him accountable. That's what he, because he obstructed justice. That's right. literally what he did. Mm-hmm. So you're mad at them for holding him accountable. And that's number one. And you're mad at them for not focusing on a virus that wasn't going to be known for another three months. And at least not to that level. Not to that level. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, from the reports we heard, they didn't really start looking at it until early January. Like January, right. Yeah. So that wasn't even a thought in people's minds, right? Um, and to the fact of you are not paying, you're not so invested in the political structure of this com- country to where you can even make a uh, discernible, uh, intelligent thought regarding what's happening in politics mm-hmm. because you're so farly far removed. I'm rich and I'm black and I'm famous and therefore I'm a unicorn. And that's, you know, that speaks even further to like the frustration in this whole process, because look at what we're talking about. Like we're talking about Chris Rock. We've referenced Steve Harvey and Dave Chappelle and Ice Cube and 50 Cent. It's like, yo, these are black entertainers. Like the biggest voting campaign going on in this country likely is led by a collaboration of Michelle Obama and LeBron James. And, 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 you know, Howard Bryant always says, you know, the most powerful, you know, the most powerful black voice in this country is the black athlete and the black entertainer. And that's so ass backwards and why we constantly find ourselves in this position over and over again, because the most powerful white voice are actually in positions of power like, right. no one is going like, hey, man, what does Robert De Niro think about this? So like, hey, what, how does Justin Bieber feel about the whole process? Everybody wants to know what Beyonce got to say about Nigeria. Ain't nobody asking what Justin Bieber thinks about the Trump administration. Nobody's asking Katy Perry. Tom Brady. She, like, it doesn't Tom matter. Brady, nobody's asking them, right? We, yeah. we, we don't care. We don't care what Peyton Manning's thoughts are on governance. But we want to know what LeBron James thinks about right. governance. Right, right. You know, um, that's the most fascinating thing, right? So, uh, like, I, think about this, right? Barbara Streisand, Babs, big, she's a political, I mean, big career, you know, extremely successful. Um, 
you know, and you, she's also has a, uh, she's well known for her social engagement, mm-hmm. you know, and giving into causes and being a, a um, into liberal cause, cause, causes and everything. Babs. Even with that resume, nobody's ever asked Barbara Streisand, we need you to weigh in yeah. on what's going on with Trump. she does it on her own oh on her own just as meryl streep like they do it on their own but they're not like sought out for and and truthfully and i don't mean this like i don't mean it dismissively yeah but in the context of our conversation like no one cares no one cares like because she's a white woman and it it doesn't matter and her voice doesn't carry weight in her community because she's not She's not uh, uh, next to power. Right. Jane Fonda has been an activist for the last 50 years, 40 years. She's a white woman. But that's not, I don't change. Nothing. I mean, she's, you know, Jane Fonda, <laughs> right? And she's, With money, like with, with all money, kinds yeah, of money. And, and she's been an activist, but it's like, even with that being said, no one's going to Jane Fonda and saying, Jane Fonda, what do you think of us with the, uh, the tenor of this country? Yeah. With all her activism. Yeah. And so, and I love Jane Vonda. So um, it's fascinating. And I'm, I'm glad, you know, I, I didn't know Howard Bryant said that, but that sounds about on brand for him. Yeah. So, Howard, like he is, to me, he is just the definitive voice when it comes to talking about the intersection of, you know, politics and athletics, you know what I mean? And, and uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's no one I'd rather listen to uh, than Howard Bryant. Um, let's touch on one more thing, uh, before we wrap up, uh, I, Washington post reported earlier today that 47 million people have already voted. Uh, that's the same number of people who voted in 2016. That's the, that we're already at the same number of people who voted early in 2016, 12 days before the election. What, what is the impact? Like, do you think there's a major impact on Tuesday, November 3rd on, from, from all of these early votes? I do think so. I'm interested to see what these numbers are going to look like. Um, you're looking at what happened in Harris County in Houston, Houston, Harris County, um, where they've already um, reached their vote totals. They were in 2016. They've already reached their, their vote totals in that county alone. Um, you know, it's a largely Democratic county, but the clerk, the um, social supervisor elections, they are saying it's we're setting records every day already. Um, and so you see that you see it in Georgia. Um, I think I mentioned in the last week that uh, Georgia had over 800,000 new registered voters between 2018 and 2020. That's insane. Democrats, Democrats added 800,000 new voters. I feel like that's another really long conversation because it brings the Stacey Abrams race to question, but maybe we'll hold off on that for a a different episode. Yeah. And so, um, you know, but you're seeing a lot of actualized interest within the voting base and people are energized. They're ready. They want to. They want to put have their say in this election, um, whether it's happening on 
one side of the aisle or the other, but people want to have their say. And you want to make sure that their vote is going to be counted. I, I, saw, I saw something interesting was last week. They said it's estimated by the time election day comes, the way things are going here in Florida, 70% of people will have already had voted. So, so basically they're, they're estimating. So think, think about, it. so at that point, election day, the, the election might already have been already decided. Mm-hmm. By the time it hits 701, because that's when it can start letting in the totals, right? And that's, and, and for, for context, it's one thing for that to happen in California. We know where California is going. Like it, we know right. what it's going to wind up. That's a whole other thing for it to happen where you're at in Florida. Right. In Florida, we can have, by the time it hits eight o'clock, we should have a really good idea about where the, where the state is going. Like the polls end at seven, but I'm guessing by eight o'clock, if the things are trending the way they are, the because what you people don't really they have to report after 7 p.m. Eastern, but they've already started calculating, they've already started, um, you know, tabulating, the votes, tabulating yeah. the votes, mm-hmm. right? They but they have to report, and so you know, saying by the time the voting machines, you know, give out the number, actualized number of how many people vote by 7 45, we should know where Florida's leaning. It's it's a strong lean, we should say it's. It, and Florida's a 1% state, by the way. And what we, we always say that Florida's a 1% state, meaning that 1% of the votes determines the election. In 2000, it was 547 votes that decided the presidential election, 547. In um, 2018, for the gubernatorial race, Andrew Gillum lost by 22,500 votes. And so forth and so on, it's shown that the race is it's a razor thin margin to win. The only people who actually blew that number out was Obama. He did it twice. And then Trump. Trump won by 113,000 votes, which is still not a large number considering there's over 18 million eligible voters in the state of Florida. But still, considering in past elections, that's still a lot. Do you think the election goes as Florida goes? No. I think um, the states you want to focus in on are going to be Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Big 10 schools. Focus on the Big 10 schools. Focus on the Big 10 schools. Trump loses Pennsylvania. His pathway, I I think they can can cancel the election Mm. because he has no pathway. He won by razor-thin margin before. Which is why and President Obama was there. It's why, you know, Biden was there a couple of days ago. They're putting a lot of focus on Pennsylvania. Biden cannot afford to lose. Well, he could afford it, but he doesn't want to because it makes his night a little bit more skeptical at that point. But if, if Biden pulls off Pennsylvania by 830, if they're, by 830, if they're calling Pennsylvania, Trump is going to be in a world of hurt. But... As far as Florida's concerned, if Biden does the unbelievable, because I don't think he's going to win Florida. Okay. But uh, even though he's up by 1% here, I don't feel like he's going to win 1%. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or they, got, they say he's up by two points now in Florida, but I, whatever. Um, but if Biden pulls off the unbelievable and he steals the state, I'm going to call it stealing. If he steals Florida with the 29 electoral votes, 
they can call the election that night. Mm. Literally. If by 8.30, they're like 8.15, whatever, um, we're projecting Biden, Biden won Florida, you can close your laptop. You can go to bed early. The election's over. It don't matter what happens in Pennsylvania at that point. It matters what happens in Florida, right? But if it goes to Biden, if Florida if goes, goes to Biden, Biden, if it goes to Trump, it's not as big of if, a deal. Yeah. But if it goes Biden, to Biden, it's a, it's right. Because Trump has no pathway, none. It don't matter. It, it don't matter what he does at that point. He has no pathway, you know, but um, if he loses Pennsylvania, Trump's pathway goes from like 7% to 2%, you know, and it's, it's, it's going to, it would take a lot of outliers for him to pull off and pull off a win with lose if he lost Pennsylvania. And I think Pennsylvania is going to be a lot closer than people think. I know they have Biden up by seven points, but. PTSD, man. That's what we were talking about last time. I, I, I don't, I ain't buying it. I think he wins Pennsylvania based off the sheer fact that he's, they know him in that state. People know him. Okay. Um, I think that's the case. And I think a lot has been made in that state. I know a lot has been made from people outside the state, but I think a lot has been made in that state of Trump winning Pennsylvania by 0.7 votes. And I think there's a lot of people, quiet is kept, who might have been like, damn, either I didn't vote or I voted for Trump and I, I regret that. And I think you're going to get some regretting, some regret votes there. And that's what you're seeing in the big push nationally. I think there's a lot of people who are like, I'm not going to let this happen on my watch. It's not going to be me. That You can't look at me and say, I was the reason why Trump got reelected. So that, that brings up another question. Do you think he gained voters over the last four years? No. You, okay, you said no, that I'm confidently. Sorry. No, okay. I think he's, I don't think he's grew his base. I do think... And it's weird because it runs counter to what we said when we started the thing about him getting up to 20% of the black vote, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like yes and no, right? I don't think he's brought in his coalition, but he's made his appeal to a certain demographic a lot more because of, not because of what he's done, but because of Biden. Okay. So So he's gained votes because of the race, not necessarily because of him. him. Right. Gotcha. Because you hear this again, barbershop conversations. Man, the '94 crime bill. Mm. You know. Yeah. Oh, what did he? You're, you're what Biden. He, you know, he was a. a um, you know what he said in 1968 regarding segregation. 1968. Mm-hmm. Mind you, <laughs> white man speaking in 1968 about segregation, and and so, um, or you know, he did a eulogy for. Senator Byrd, Robert Byrd, you know, who is a known racist. Biden's a racist, you know. So you hear, those are the things that people are hanging their hat on as far as Biden's concerned. Well, we're not too far away. I'd like to do one more, man, before Election Day. Yeah. And uh, so let's, um, you know, let's put together a few things. But we appreciate you, as always, uh, for joining us. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Do all of that fun stuff. Uh, if you haven't submitted your ballot yet, uh, go submit it. Uh, it's super easy. You can fill it out at home or make sure you're at the polls on November 3rd. If you didn't register in time, if you didn't register before the 19th deadline, no worries. You can register at your polling place in person on Tuesday, November 3rd. We appreciate you so much for being with us. Uh, it's part two of the Vote Like Your Life Depends on It series here on the podcast with Damian Barling.